More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Chris Bosley's passion for entrepreneurship led him back to the family business, Amorini, an industry leader in kitchen and joinery components. Now he works alongside his brother, Mitch, Father Stephen, and uncle Paul Atkins, diversifying Amorini's product offering and developing a proprietary software platform called the Amorini Edge. On this episode of the Family Business Voice, Chris and I talk about Amorini's family business dynamic its new technological underpinnings, and its continued commitment to the people that make it all possible. Enjoy this episode with Chris. When did you realize that um, you were part of a family business as a kid? Like, was it something that you were born into, you never really questioned it? Or was there a moment where you were like, oh, okay, hold on. We've got this entrepreneurship thing going on with our family. Like, it's kind of kind of special. Other people's uh, Parents have normal jobs and, you know, <laughs> it's much less stressful, maybe. Did you have a clear moment of realization about this? It's an interesting one because from as young as I can be, I remember being a part of a family business because mm. at school, we were always the kitchen family. And and we're actually, at that stage, it was second generation because my grandfather actually brought it in, uh, well, started it. So I remember being the kitchen family and it was quite unique. <laughs> I remember all the memories of going into the factories and doing the things you probably shouldn't be doing, you know, driving the forklift and playing with all the sample <laughs> swatches and doing the things that were all a bit of fun. So it was intrinsic in our nature from that regards. Mm. However, as being a part of the family business or, or being involved directly ourselves, we actually, I actually moved away from it. So I tried to avoid it. I think I went through one of those um, I guess, adolescent ages where I, I wanted to sort of create my own path. Mm. So I went and I did some little startups, admittedly with, with some family assistants, mm. but completely out of the industry, so out of the kitchen industry and away from that. Um, took some learnings from that, ended mm. up having to choose to go and study, I guess, for our own or my own personal development. And then from that, I went traveling and came back and after a few different jobs, ended up within the family business. So I guess I always felt a part. It's always felt like it's a family business and a family company, mm. um, but I didn't necessarily feel a, a direct part of that as such and, until my, my involvement about 10 years ago. So I'm always really curious to understand this about people who've had the opportunity to work outside of it first and then like, you know, they can compare that feeling between working for the family business or working for someone else. Yeah. Has your definition of what a successful career looks like changed? Like, you know, when you compared that outside experience to then joining the family business, like, do you have a different definition of success in your career now? I believe pride plays a big factor. I think when family's involved and when there's a history behind it, you can go into something with a bit more passion. Mm. And with that passion, and I guess that pride from past experiences, it enables you to potentially depends what level of success you call it, right? But there is a level there of success that I believe is derived directly from the pride you feel of being involved in that family business. And you're now uh, sharing responsibilities in the business with, I believe, your brother and I believe your father is still involved as well. Or how does it work right now for Amorini? 
I guess we've transitioned throughout different roles within the business to where we are. So it started off, I actually started sweeping floors in the warehouse <laughs> um, and we've all worked our way through. So we've all started, um, my brother and I both started in the factory, mm-hmm. learning every facet of the business before moving through um, over, uh, I guess, about the last decade. Right now, um, as the position sits, so our father, Stephen, is managing director, so effectively overseeing what we're doing. I'm a general manager of sales and marketing and my brother's general manager of operations, which by chance has, you know, I guess it's eventuated that way. We, we couldn't have ever anticipated when we both went and did a marketing yeah. degree. I guess it was a fair risk that we're both going to end up moving down the same track between my brother and I, Mitchell, but we've, we've ended up um, through, I guess, through opportunity, finding different paths within the business, enabling us both to work together side by side instead of trying to, I guess, follow the same path, which has been lucky. Can you tell us a little bit more about decision-making processes within the family business for you? Have you kept it very simple? Is it a very authoritative kind of a model where your father still kind of sort of like makes a final decision? Is it more of a democracy? Like, and, and how did you guys come to this sort of system? Like, how did you formulate that together? It was a work in progress. I believe we're there right now. Mm-hmm. What we now do is we know where our skill sets lie. We've had an opportunity to grow into our roles. And it's also given Stephen an opportunity maybe to spread his wings and watch the rest of us grow. So he set a vision with his brother-in-law when they started Amarini back in 2004. And that vision was as simple as to help others grow. Mm-hmm. And uh, effectively, it's like you've got the MD now that's that's steering the ship and giving mm-hmm. the rest of us an opportunity to do our thing. So on day-to-day operations side, um, Mitch and I now make our own autonomous decisions on what should happen. And we work together and make decisions together on what should happen. Mm-hmm. And only at that high level when required do we then seek advice from Stephen. But completely flat level, not hierarchical at all. And there's, there's no micromanaging or anything going on, which is terrific. So we're given our own opportunity to, to learn through this and only at the time that he may think, oh, hold on, you know, let's steer this back into, the, you know, whatever it may be, that's when he'll get involved. When you guys look into the future, of course, like everything that Steve would decide now, your father would decide now, I think like would be something that you and Mitchell will look at as well. We're the ones who are going to be carrying that forward beyond his his activities, right? Like, so... Are you able to sort of like respect his decision-making in view of you already knowing that you'll be in the company, obviously, and and carrying out that, like, you know, sort of like living with the consequences, if you will, of those decisions? Do you and Mitchell talk about these things sometimes as a next generation where you sort of like look at aligning at least between the two of you or... Is that something that you can very openly discuss with the older generation? Something that we openly discuss. So I think as part of the business has grown and it's transitioned, systems have become a really big part of our business Mm -hmm. and and I'm sure we'll touch on that. But part of that system-driven orientation within our mindset, is that something that we know that -hmm. perhaps Stephen didn't know or that wasn't available through his career and before that? So I think we've been really lucky. He's actually been able to take his his, uh, a step back a little bit when it comes to that and let us integrate systems and whatnot into the business that uh, he may not understand or completely get at the time, Mm -hmm. knowing that if we make that call, it's for the right reasons. You're talking about those systems, and this is something we know that, I mean, this is not a result of the current pandemic or the current economic situation, but you have been implementing systems for a while, like improvements, et cetera, optimization. Tell us what areas of the business, particularly you and Mitchell, have been looking at in terms of, like, you know, modernizing, digitalizing uh, Amarini. We've built a system which we call the Amarini Edge, Mm. and effectively it's a business management system, and it's continually evolving. 
and it's a hybrid of proprietary software designed specifically for the kitchen industry and some off-the-shelf software that we've brought in together and then obviously created a hybrid version to suit our needs but paired it together into this one management system that lets us go from the front end to the back end in a seamless integration from the design component of a kitchen or a joinery aspect within the house all the way to the when the team are picking the components out the back and sending it out the door, which is really exciting and, and it's a one one process and one system and it all integrates together. The next stage of that, and when I'm really excited where it's going, is going to be the introduction of RFID um, into to our warehouse mm-hmm. and that will just take that next level of automation. I'm sure by 2030 there's probably going to be some robots picking doors and things too and it's going to be cool to see the way <laughs> See the way that that goes for the industry. I'd love a robot to come with my kitchen if that can be arranged. Like that, that would be the best part for me. <laughs> like do the cooking, do the cleaning. <laughs> I, I saw one the other day that was putting all the things out of the dishwasher. So I've, I've seen it happening. So they're trying it. The so. dishwasher, which we all know, is like the often the end of a marriage, right? Like if you if it's not done right, like this can be a cause for divorce. So I think it's a socially minded robot if you bring that That's kind right. of uh, technology. Absolutely, to absolutely. Right. So we look forward to that. So the Amarini Edge. I think like, you know, in the family business, we often talk about the knowledge transfer from the older generation to the younger generation. Yep. But when it comes to some of the technology that we see now, there's often a need for knowledge transfer from the younger generation to the older generation, yep. because we've had the chance of being, you know, digital natives, etc. How did you experience that uh, shift in potentially your relationship, even with your father? And how did you manage that psychologically to teach him something, you know, as opposed to the typical role of like him teaching you? I believe that what we've done, which is unique and part of the edge, is we've tried to simplify the process where possible. Yeah. And that was a direct relation to be able to get the correct data and the correct information back to Stephen and those we need to report okay. to. So rather than have, um, obviously, we can get the, as, as deep into the analytics as we need to within our systems, but it was about having um, transparent, accessible and accurate information that they could just look up and say, right, great, that's where we're at, that's where we're going, beautiful, I can see a trajectory, we're moving in the right direction or, you know, those sort of things. So it was the requirement to educate the older generation or the previous generation, it was the requirement to educate them on the systems that made us come up with a more simplified version. So we spent a lot of money investigating really in-depth proprietary um, tailored software to suit our needs and all of these sort of things. And it became, I guess, the advent of cloud in the last few years and the way that that's expanded and the different softwares and, and, and plugins and things that you can utilize and third-party um, integrations has enabled us to really, in the last few years, take significant advancements in the simplification of our process mm-hmm. and we're, we're tweaking it. I mean, only only six months ago, we've brought a new CRM platform into the business, which is far more simplified than what was there, yet far more accurate mm-hmm. and everyone can access it now. And we've got digital dashboards and things on monitors around the offices that we never had. So the level of transparency within the business, not just mm-hmm. from senior management, but all the way through to the team in the warehouse and, and everyone else is um, terrific now because we all know where we're at. Um, mm-hmm. We all know what support's needed. We know what people's workloads are. And this is the advent of continuing to look through software. So mm-hmm. I think the most important part of the edge is it's always evolving. It's an evolution. It's yeah. never one and the same. If the edge, when I first started working with it about eight years ago when we started bringing it together, if that particular component was still the same now, we'd probably be out of business. So there's two things that I love about what you just said. Like the first thing that I think there's this huge confusion sometimes. You talk about 
implementing technology and people associated with complication. And what I love about what you just said is that, you know, you accentuated the simplification the technology can bring to the fore in terms of your processes, which it's, it's actually supposedly designed to do, right? Like, and yeah. I think it's the implementation part that can feel complicated because we have to input the right data and everything like that. But ultimately, it's only working if it's simpler in the end, that's right? Wrong. Like, so I think yeah. that's that's superb. And also, as you said, like, so it's a dynamic thing, but it's also a dynamic thing because I imagine the softwares and the technologies that you're using, they're evolving at quite a fast pace at this stage. Are you developing people to support this dynamic process continuously? Like, have your human capital requirements changed in response to uh, Amarini Edge? Only marginally. What what we've more done is we've ensured that we've upskilled our existing team mm-hmm. to be able to service the um. I guess the software requirements mm. within the business now. So I saw a thing on online the other day. It was it was a a, ment- a quote, and it said that by twenty thirty. I keep referencing twenty thirty because uh, you okay. know in in the in the nineties they're referencing once it hits the two thousands and so on. But right now they keep referencing twenty thirty and beyond. And what they because nobody that, wants to think about next year, Chris. No, they don't. Right? They <laughs> nobody don't. wants to think about they Chris. Don't. It's like 2020 no is so horrible. It's like, it's like, let's just skip the 20s because exactly. it's been a nightmare and go to the next one. But yeah. they're, saying, they're saying that at that stage, it's going to be our job will be servicing the robots hmm. yeah. because that's the way that technology is moving. So what we've found is upskill our existing team rather than bring in a team of people that may know the software at that point in time, upskill the team members we already have because... Whatever information you bring someone in who may be who may be great in, in that particular software at that point in time, that's going to be outdated and you're going to have to train them anyway. So if you've already got a team of people with the right culture mm-hmm. that is part of the – we call it the Amarini family. If there's a team of people that believe in the culture, believe in the common goal, see where they're going and you give them brightness to the future, meaning they can see that their roles are going to evolve with it, then mm-hmm. it just works. So I guess we're continually upskilling ourselves as well to make sure we've, we've got the right processes. Makes a lot of sense. Also quite a typical thing for a family business to do, I guess. Yeah. Like, and, and you are calling yourselves a family business and you are talking about legacy. Uh, so are we right in assuming that the dream is to continue it as a family-owned company? So what are your future aspirations? I mean, aside from the obvious robots coming in that we just discussed, obviously, like, yeah, you know, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> aside from, from the tech side, like what are the aspirations that you share as a family now and with regards to Amarini? One of the biggest ones, and it's been drummed into us since we were young. So one of the ones is helping others grow. And the reason that's important to us is because I've got a young family coming through um, myself, not not into the business. They're, they're too young for that. But it's about helping those that work with us in, in different roles to grow because that's what will continue the legacy and that's what will continue that family business orientation. We're looking at... I guess, revolutionising the industry as, as we believe we're working towards, especially in Australia. Mm-hmm. So that, that legacy becomes a more of a game changer. It's more about, do you remember when it used to look like this and it now looks like this? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and that moment in time when it changes. And I, of all things, I, I genuinely believe COVID year in, in mm-hmm. 2020 is one of those game changers for, for everyone Absolutely. in the industry. Because you have to look internal you have to look at ways you can optimize what you're already doing. You have to look at ways to simplify processes and to make it work because it's a really difficult time for all of us. There's, there's human resource concerns, um, there's personal health concerns, which is very, very important. And at the top of the list, making sure everyone's healthy, um, both physically and obviously mm-hmm. mentally mm-hmm. With, with all the constraints. And, you know, supply chain issues. 
big, big supply chain issues. Big yes, ones when, exactly. you, when you're an importer wholesaler that can have reverberations um, throughout the whole business. So it's a really interesting time. Um, but one, I think this is the this is the moment in time when if you can make it work now, if you can really get things working efficiently to their utmost now when you are restricted, you know, once the shackles are taken off, it's going to be it's going to be a bit of fun. So hail to 2030. We'll talk again then, Chris. Of course, I'll probably be interviewing your personal robot then, which is going to uh, be, no, be It'll be it'll be 2020. <laughs> no, 2021. All right, it's it's going to be a good year. It's going to be a good year. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed that everyone's everyone's back in a um in a bit comfortable position at some point through 2021 because it's obviously exactly we've got a long journey ahead. Everyone healthy and and able to to innovate where they need to be, and uh, hopefully learning a lot from the Amarini Edge and that it's all possible with the family legacy. And so, thank you so much, Chris, for this interview. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.